Welcome to the Forging Honor Podcast. I'm Jonathan George. And I'm Benjamin Jones. Here at The Forge, we explore what it means to live as Christian men. Along the way, we'll be doing weekly challenges to build character through action. We are by no means experts, just two young Christian men trying to make sense of a wild world. That's right. We're doing our best to learn and hope you'll join us on the journey. And if you want to get directly involved, go to forginghonor.com to find information on how to join our community. This is episode 13, Soulful Living. All right, so this last challenge, well, as a reminder, challenges last for 10 days. That's Monday through Friday for two weeks. They are uh, simple daily tasks to grow us as men, as Christian men. This previous challenge, I counted that we got, or I got eight of the days accomplished, and Banjo got nine of the days accomplished. Um, The challenge was divided into two weeks. First week was reflect on what it means to live a a spirit spiritful life or a soulful life in some way essentially living before the lord and what does it mean to be spiritually filled prior to enjoying the things of the lord so the second week was enjoy the things of the lord take something every day whether it be a good glass of whiskey or a very nice dessert um, something that might be part of your everyday life so one day for me it was coffee another day it was a nice cup of tea like what does it mean to be spiritually full to enjoy that um, so I hit eight of those days. Most five of those came from the second week. It's a lot easier to sit and enjoy something, I think, than it is to think about enjoying it. So the first week, I only accomplished three of the five days. And and how'd you you did nine full days, Banjo? So what what did that look like for you? Yeah. So uh, for me, the the main thing was in uh, the first week. I was doing a lot of research. I've been I've been reading a couple of books these last two weeks that have been really helpful. Um, and I'm I'm probably going to talk a lot about in in the next 40 minutes or so. Um, one of them, uh, both were just really important in the research that I was doing for these topics. One was uh, Soren Kierkegaard's The Sickness Unto Death. I've already talked about that book uh, on the show a little bit. Um, and I've also made mention of this book, um, Christianity and Liberalism uh, by Jake Gresham Machen. Um, both uh, really important books. And I think uh, were one of the things that is at the heart of both of them is an idea of um, one idea that's really central to Christianity is that we are not just material beings, um, and that there is more to life, there's more to reality um, than the immediate and the tangible. Um, and yet, it is one of the great—I uh, don't know how to say it exactly—one of the great disconnects of our modern age. You know, we're so involved with science, we're so involved with technology, uh, we know so much. Uh, and yet we experience so little. Um, we have such a great idea of, well, we know how the atom works. We know how uh, these things are created. And yet we, we, because we know so much, we forget that we're spiritual beings. Um, so a lot of my research in those first four days had to do with, our first, yeah, four days were mostly reading those two books, reading scripture, kind of trying to get this sense of uh, what does it mean to be a self with a soul? Um, and that's, uh, that's a pretty heady philosophical concept to get, to get around. Um, but the other elements of it was, uh, just kind of enjoying, enjoying the things that, um, as, as I understood it, enjoying the things that made me aware that I have a soul was kind of how I understood it. Um, so I don't know about you, JJ, but I, I feel more myself, um, when I have a good cigar, 
or when I have a good pipe. Um, I just feel I, I almost never come away from a good, you know, a good round of tobacco with a buddy. And I almost never come away from that feeling worse about myself. Um, you have, you have to be careful there though, because if it's all about how do you feel yourself, right? We're explicitly told in scripture not to be ourselves a lot of the time, right? Like the things we feel we want to do. Yes, that is, that is a good point. Um, and I like, I like what you're stepping in there, but what we are called to be is we're, we're called to be, and then again, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to start right off the bat. This is where Kierkegaard is really helpful. Um, because, uh, the way that Kierkegaard expresses it is, uh, sin is in despair, not being oneself before God. So in other words, this is kind of a complicated thread, but bear with me. Walk me through it. Here we go. So because we are created beings, um, we are created by a, and this is obvious, but we're created by a creator because we are created by a creator that creator has a purpose for our life. There's a, there's a, um, our function and a form that our soul, that our self takes on. And, um, when, when we are created, we have that form, but because of our sin nature, right? Because of Adam's, uh, falling away, uh, from, from his state of perfection in the garden, his, his state of, uh, in the garden, because of that fall, uh, we no longer desire to be the self we were created to be. We no longer de uh, desire uh, to be who God has made us to be. And so the two, there, there are several forms of despair that we fall into. But, but briefly, those forms of despair are either um, not to be who God has created us to be or not thinking that we can be who God has made us to be um, or defying who God has made us to be. Um, so, uh, you know, a person can say, well, God doesn't exist, right? And I'm going to live however I want to, right? Um, that person is in despair because they do not realize that they are created. And so they do not realize that they have a purpose, right? Um, another person can say, well, God exists, but I won't believe in him, right? Uh, God exists, but I won't live the way that he tells me to live, right? Uh, and so this person will, um, you know, they might accomplish whatever it is they see, set out to accomplish. They will be oneself. They will be themselves. Um, and yet they will not be the self who God has created them to be. And so they will still be in despair. They will still uh, be incomplete in who they are. Um, or uh, one can recognize that one is created, uh, recognize that there is a creator, um, and still not realize that there is reconciliation between a perfect God and an imperfect creation, right? Um, so we might know that God is perfect. We might know that God has created us, um, but we still seek to be not ourself, right? We, we, um, we don't think that we can become who God has wanted us to be. And so we're in despair, right? Um, and so the solution to all of these in- I mean, Before you say the solution, yeah. just make sure I have it clear. Pre-fall- we should desire to be who God has made us to be, whatever that is. Right. And then in the fall, we despair either that we're unable to do that because we're imperfect or right. we're in despair because we're not even aware of that fact. So we're trying to follow our own path. Right. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. Or you can you can know that that there is a God. You can know that you're a created being, and you can still desire to be your own person, right? So this would be someone. So there's kind who, of a third mixed option. Right. You can kind of yeah. know that God exists and say, "I'm not going to do what God says. I'm going to be my own person, right? I'm going to be myself." Um, but that form is also in despair because that form right. is not is not matching that. Okay. Um, one of the helpful analogies that Kierkegaard gives here is we often think of sin as um, this thing that we can see, right? Um, uh, but he describes so if, uh, he describes like a like a locomotive train, right? A steam engine train. Um, we often think of sin as the steam coming off of the engine, right? The puffs of smoke, right? Uh, right. This thing that we see and this thing that kind of occurs intermittently. But he says, well, to be sinful is to be the train, right? It's the whole train that causes the smoke to, to puff out in and out. Um, the smoke is just a visible manifestation of the train. Just a symptom. Right, it's a symptom, exactly. So the solution to all of this is Christ. Because in Christ, we have the reconciliation between the creator uh, and the creation, right? Um, and this is not to say we have to be really clear on this. And this is part of what Machen will get to in Christianity and liberalism. This is not to say that Christ is the example by which we can live, right? And then we follow what Christ has given us to do. But rather, Christ is the historical manifestation of God in the flesh, this, the God assuming flesh, the second person of the Trinity, entering into history, becoming uh, uh, a historical person, right? Uh, living and dying as a human and being raised again from the dead. Yeah, he would not disagree that he's the example by which we live by, right? Right. Like he's it, he's still the summation of the law, right? This right, one right. who lived the perfect life, right? But the salvation that we find in Christ is not in the fact that, well, now we have we we have an example of someone who could live the perfect life. Our salvation comes from the fact that Jesus died and was resurrected and paid the price for for the sins. Does that make right. sense? Absolutely. Very, okay. very makes sense. So it's a huge distinction. Um, and both in the Danish church in the 1850s and in the American church in the 1920s, uh, there was the idea that Christ uh, is not a uh, is not the second person of the Trinity, but is instead the ideal human who lived the perfect life. And now because he lived the perfect life, we have an example to live a perfect life. Does that make sense? And Machen, Machen's point in Christianity and liberalism is that those are two entirely separate religions, two entirely separate ideas. Um, and Kierkegaard's point in his book is to say, if we if we live a life that says that Christ is just a an example of the perfect human, um, then we will always live in despair, because in that life there is no reconciliation between the creator and the creature. And no matter how happy we may be in our physical existence, our spiritual reality is never fixed, right? However good a life we might live, our spiritual reality is always broken. Right. So we're always, we're always trying to fix ourselves in some way, workspace righteousness, essentially. Exactly. Exactly right. So when I, what I mean by saying I feel more myself, um, it's a good distinction to say, well, I, I don't feel that I am the self, that I am 
defining for myself, right? If that makes sense. When I have a cigar, I'm not feeling more myself in this way that I say, well, this is what Banjo Jones is. This is who Banjo Jones must be. I feel more myself um, in the way that I think God has made me to be. And how do we know who... Well, that, well, that was my question. How do you know that, you know, having a nice bowl of tobacco is going to be, is more yourself in the sense that God made you to be that way versus, oh, this is just something you really like and a lot of people you respect really like it. So, I mean, it makes sense. Like it's, it's a question of how is it such a positive thing, I guess. Like I accept it's a neutral thing at least. Yes. How is it such a positive thing? Right. And this is, I think this is an interesting and important point, again, that Kierkegaard brings up, I think not in Sickness Unto Death, but um, in his other uh, very, very famous work, Fear and Trembling, um, which is a great book uh, that I'm working through uh, right now. Um, but in that book, I believe, it could be somewhere else. It might be in a different one that he writes. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off track. Um, he has a very famous uh, saying that is often misquoted, uh, but he says that truth is subjectivity. Um, which is a, um, really similar, but not the same as saying that truth is subjective. So what he says is truth is subjectivity. What he means by that is that the way that we, uh, that there is, he's not saying, let me start by what he's not saying. He's not saying that there is no objective truth, right? He's not saying that. What he is saying is that the way that we, live out an objective truth will look different from person to person. So for example, um, there's a biblical command um, in the Ten Commandments, uh, thou shalt not murder, right? Um, and you and I might experience that in the same way, right? We might say, well, uh, thou shalt not murder means that I should never kill anyone, right? Uh, and for us, that's a very practical application of how that's going to play out. But if one of us gets drafted into war, if one of us volunteers for war, right, um, then we will have to kill somebody, right? That's probably going to be part of our um, experience, right? We're probably required gonna, duty in a sense, right? A required duty. Um, the law still applies, right? It, the truth is not taken out of the command, right? It's still a moral imperative not to murder. See, I, that sounds like a slippery slope, though, because thou shalt not murder is not thou shalt not kill. So I would disagree with the first part of that. I would say in my lived experience, I have not had the requirement to kill. And that would, regardless of where I am, say in self-defense, like right. that could be an option in my day-to-day -day life. So as a lived experience, like there's no difference between me and the soldier in the sense that we both, well, I guess the, the difference is the opportunity rather than the uh, moral requirement. Right, I, so, so it just sounds like a slippery slope. Well, it's still it's still not more. It would still be uh, it's it would be moral for you to kill someone in self defense, right? If someone attacks you, that would be, uh, and they were they were trying to kill you and you killed them, right? That would be right, right, right. Uh, but um, if you were just walking down the street, someone looks at you funny and you say he was trying to kill me. Um, I'm going to kill him in self-defense, right. right? That's not, that would be immoral. But right? how is that, how does that go back to the, the truth is subjectivity argument? So in this example, it is still true that 
is it is wrong to take a life unjustly. Right. Right. Um, so that part is true. But until that, uh, until that experience has occurred, you will not, how about this? Until the it's experienced ex- differently. Right. It's experienced. I have not experienced that scenario. Right. So up until the point that you experience that scenario, it will be wrong for you to kill someone. Right. Until up until the, your, you know, in your lived experience up to this point, there has never been a situation in which it has been right for you to kill someone. Right. Also, By the way, let's just pause real fast. This sure. is going to be recorded. Uh, yes, this is being yes. recorded. This is going to go out into. You're going to you know, be able to snapshot this and soundbite this, and so you know, let's just make it clear for the record: neither of us has or you know, has killed anyone, is intended to kill anyone. For you know, this is purely a hypothetical, philosophical. It's philosophical. philosophical. I mean, but it's important because it does affect our everyday lives. Like you never know if if you're walking around with your wife and someone assaults right. you. Like you're not going to have that philosophical discussion, right? No, it, but you have to be prepared for that in that moment. If I mean. Take it down to a, a, a smaller scenario. You have to be prepared in the moment as a male when the opportunity for adultery presents itself as it will in your life. Right. Are you prepared to act morally? Right. And and again, you know, I think it's an important example. It's it is uh, not it is not moral to commit adultery. Right. Right. That's that's pretty flat. If we look at scripture, um, there are occasions where the prophets are instructed by God to marry adulterous women, marry prostitutes, right? Right. They're um, not, the prophets themselves are not told to commit adultery. No, but they are um, – I yeah, not they're not committing adultery, but they are marrying people who have committed adultery. Right, which would right, have been which, seen as unclean. Right. Right. Um, and, and those things, which unclean uh, is not the same as immoral. You have to be right. very clear about that. Right. Um, but there are, but there are certain things that are required of that to have happened, right? Someone has to have committed adultery, right? Right. Exactly. Now that doesn't negate the fact that adultery is unclean or is, is sinful. And in this case, immoral, unclean, all immoral acts are unclean. Not all unclean acts are immoral. Right. So in this case, the adultery was still immoral. Right. Right. Um, however, it was a requirement for this biblical scenario to have occurred. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Another example, uh, probably a more obvious example, is uh, and one that Kierkegaard deals uh, explicitly with in Fear and Trembling, is uh, the issue of Abraham and Isaac. Um, right. When Isaac, uh, Abraham is sub- instructed to um, sacrifice Isaac. Again, murdering someone is wrong, right? Abraham is instructed essentially to sacrifice, you know, he's instructed to sacrifice Isaac, to right. murder Isaac, right? This is a biblical uh, command um, or a, a God-given command. Uh, and what Kierkegaard calls this is the teleological suspension of, of, yeah, am I getting that right? I believe it, yeah, I think that's right. Teleological suspension of the ethical. There we go. Um, which is to say that God can suspend the, uh, morality of an action, or we can just, uh, let, let me re, let me rephrase that. We can understand Abraham's actions as he was doing the right thing because God told him to do it. Does that make sense? Yes. 
You have to be careful though in, in saying at no time was it immoral because God himself, from God himself flows morality. Right. The very sense of right and wrong. Right. So, so but you have to be so careful with your language on that. Like it becomes such a slippery slope. That's why I'm trying to tease this out because if you're not if you're not careful, you quickly jump into from truth is subjectivity to truth is subject subjective. Right, exactly. And I appreciate your your guardedness there because it's worth defending. And you, you once you drop those what is it four or five letters, you it's, you know it's game over, man. Right, exactly. And the reason I bring all this up, and I, uh, I apologize to any close listener who's detecting if I've left something unexplained or or unguarded. Um, but the reason I'm bringing all this up is because uh, there isn't, you know, I think we should we should say there isn't like a hard and fast rule on how to do things like, um, you know, uh, can you enjoy alcohol in the evening? Uh, can you, uh, are you know, are you going to be a better person because you smoke or you don't smoke, right? Um, we can say for sure that there are hard and fast rules about don't, you know, uh, avoid drunkenness, right? Um, that's very clear. That's very clear. We're not going to argue that. Um, but JJ, your question was, how do I, how do I, like, let me see if I can get this right. You said, you asked, how do I know that I feel better about who I am? Or how do you, how do I know that I'm my, I am myself when I'm smoking and that's the right thing. And I think, is that, is that a, uh, Fair restatement of your question? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I think the way that we pursue the answer to that question has to be grounded in scripture. Um, and has to be grounded in understanding um, the reality that we live in, which is both natural and supernatural, right? That there are both spiritual and physical elements to what we live. Um, and for me... And this won't be true for everybody, but for me, when I enjoy a cigar um, and when I have a, 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 an alcoholic beverage in, in good company, uh, especially when those are opportunities for me to discuss the things of God, um, I, become, I become more aware of myself as a spiritual being. Uh, I become more aware of my spiritual self. Um, and I derive uh, or, or I become awakened to that fact. I become awakened to the spiritual essence of reality. Um, and so I, I always come away from those experiences more aware that I am a created being um, and I, I am created for a purpose. Um, and I think for me, that looks like, well, here is this, here is this, plant, here's this plant that has been placed on earth, um, this tobacco plant, um, which if abused can cause serious harm. But when used in the way that it was designed, um, awakens the mind, uh, awakens the soul, uh, and creates opportunity for uh, beauty and for creativity and for expression. And when abused becomes the source of addiction and catastrophe and you know cancer. And you, have, uh, you have to be careful with that argument too, because... The same argument goes for alcohol, and I mean the same argument could be said for, uh, say, marijuana, another naturally occurring plant, right? Which has been very abused by a lot of people. 
there's there's all kinds of issues in there of like what is it th this is why it's difficult to tease out what it means to enjoy the good things of life that god has given us i i don't know i i kind of want to start to turn back around towards kind of the things more clearly laid out in scripture like alcohol for example or even gluttony mm -hmm. so enjoying a very nice dessert or a very nice some i mean whatever it is that that you're enjoying I don't know. I, I kind of thinking about that and, and laying that as the ground groundwork is is very important. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it comes because to take it back to scripture, you know, one thing that Paul says is, you know, all things are lawful, not all things are beneficial. You know, all things are uh, lawful, not all things are helpful. You know. Right. Yeah. Um, it's very important to keep in mind. And I think that you know, and and also thinking about what uh, you know uh, Peter's experience with the you know with the great sheet that comes down. Um, with all the animals on it and yeah. God saying, you know, what, what I had declared um, clean do not declare unclean. And, and most importantly, you know, we have to see that that is, you know, the reconciliation of, you know, the bringing in of the Gentiles into the people of God. Right. Um, and that's, what's most important in that passage. But we also have to see now we get to enjoy a good pork sandwich uh, and, and barbecue bacon. and bacon. Yes. I do love barbecue and bacon. Mm. Um. And so I guess my the thing that I'm pushing for, and I apologize as I say this, because I realize that I have not yet asked you how your experience was these last two That's weeks. That's all good. We're getting and there. And I feel bad about that. Um, but uh, the – the um, how to say this without sounding dramatic? The, the nature of reality is such that the, the physical and the spiritual are constantly intertwined. Right. But the age that we live in is so, uh, you, ever since Immanuel Kant and Hegel, um, we've separated, we've separated the world into the world of faith and the world of reason, uh, the world of religion and the world of science. And those things are deeply interconnected. Interesting. And our, I think many of our problems right now in the world. Well, let me let me walk that back. I think, uh, I think I am troubled by how much our world is committed only to the scientific and to the reasonable, um, and leaves little room for the spiritual and the transcendent. With that being said, how was your experience of this, of this challenge this week? It was. It was. Mixed is how I'll put it. Um, and I think what we've been talking about will flow into this uh, quite well. So my my research, um, the three days I did research, I spent a lot of time um, in scripture and reading the article I sent out um, as well, if you're in the Discord. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time in Ecclesiastes mm. because the uh, it's the preacher, you know, a lot of people think it was Solomon, but the teacher or the preacher... Um, uh, in, in Ecclesiastes really works through a lot of this stuff of he, there's, there's a chapter, he indulges himself in, in anything he wants. Right. And then, you know, he spends his time collecting the sayings of the wise, et cetera. And he kind of concludes with, you know, what is, what is it, what is good for man to do? Right. He, there's the constant refrain of vanity. Everything is vanity or, you know, the vanity, vanity everything is, vanity. Every, everything is a uh, breath of wind is one way to translate that. Um, 
And it's important for one, not to stop in any one place in Ecclesiastes. The whole thing should be taken because he doesn't reach his conclusion until the end. You know, you could you could right. come away with the wrong right. conclusion pretty easily if you read just one chapter of it. Um, because he he kind of lays out his what he learns from each of his experiences, and they're not always the best thing, right? Um, especially the vanity of vanities, because he keeps saying that and saying, you know, we all go to Sheol, we all die. Um, and as he's kind of concluding, he he gets to the point of, or in at the end of chapter 11, he says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. But, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. So he's he kind of starts to come around of like, wait a minute, not everything is vanity. You can rejoice in these things. And it's all, it, it is vanity in the sense of it, what we do will pass away, right? We all, we all pass away. We all go to Sheol as he puts it. And yet um, at the end of chapter 12, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Oh, so it's not all vanity, right? God, God has a final say in all of it. Um, and that was, that's important, I think, to, to keep in mind as we could talk through this, because he has multiple times, he says, you know, what is good for man to do, but, you know, eat and drink and enjoy the few days of his weary life because all is vanity. Um, he has, uh, part of that is also, I, I, I really appreciated this. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and of much study is a weariness of the flesh. So he gives a warning against both overindulging in your youth and also kind of overindulging in in the seeking out of of the wise things of of you know the collecting of many books. Which yeah, that's guilty. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it it's like I think there's a difference between you know collecting things for the collecting things sake and, and compiling words of wisdom for wisdom's sake and becoming wise in your own eyes. Right. That's, that's the warning there. Yeah. And, and I, oh, go ahead. sorry. So, so it just kind of came, I, I came away from reading that thinking, okay, enjoy the things that God has given me, but remember that everything I, I do, everything I enjoy will be brought before God in judgment. And that's, that's some, that's a weighty fear because while I know that, you know, I am saved by Christ on the cross. It means that all of anything brought into judgment negatively is is um, poured out in the blood of Christ, and that's I don't know. You you can quickly go into heresies, depending. You know, some folks some folks think you're re-crucifying Christ every time, and I don't know. You, you can go either way. Anyway, the point being, um, there's a weight to that enjoyment, right? There's a weight to the enjoyment of the days of our youth into doing. To walking in the ways of our heart in the sight of our, our eyes. Right? Right. So anyway, I'll say it was mixed because the the second week we're supposed to be enjoying these things. I got I got pretty sick actually in the middle of the week. Um so I had to to lay off some of what I wanted to enjoy, um, what I'd planned to enjoy. I had a nice cigar lined up and didn't get to enjoy it. Ah. But um I did instead. I was like, well, how can I find enjoyment in these things that I am the rest that I am having right now because I'm sick. Well, I'll make myself a nice cup of tea, put some honey in it. Enjoy that. Yeah. That's something God has given me to recover from the sickness. Um, and even during in the first week though, I, in the first week actually was 
over, uh, same week as my anniversary. So I got to enjoy some great meals, some good whiskey, good cigar during that time. And that had a profound effect even on the enjoyment of my anniversary in that first week, even though it wasn't, you know, the prescribed challenge. Um, so over on the whole, it was good, a little mixed in the second week, but it did teach me as I was thinking through it and just making my cup of tea in the evenings going, Oh, I, I can truly, in a spiritually full sense, I can enjoy this just as much as I do a good glass of whiskey. Yeah. It's different, but I can enjoy it in a spiritually full manner. And that's very yeah. important. That I got a lot from that, actually. And I'm thinking back on it and, and looking at some of my journaled notes. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I think is really poignant in what you brought out, especially I thought it was helpful. You were pointing me to Ecclesiastes this week um, and, and saying how you were spending time there. And I think, you know, there's so much beauty in the last verse of Ecclesiastes. Uh, which says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Um, and I think you've you've really hit the nail on the head with with so much of these these this life we live, we live before God, um, and and that is the sum of the duty of man. Uh, you know, right. I think think of. Um, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, and I think that's such a beautiful reminder is that it's not just that we glorify him and that that's our, uh, you know, that's some slavish task. You know, if it was to glorify a man, that would be slavish. But if it's right. to glorify God, that's something we can enjoy. It's something we can celebrate. Um and uh, it does require laying down many of our sinful passions. Right, right. And most so that, of all, that's, I, the, that's the teasing out of it, right? Because living before God, you cannot do that sinfully. You live, I mean, you live before him at all times in, in one sense, but living before him and glorifying him, you cannot do that in sin. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, and there's a Kierkegaard quote that I think speaks well to this, but before I get to that, the Heidelberg Catechism um, if you're familiar with that at all, yes, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful summary of the faith. It says in question one, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And I, I really love that uh, question and that answer um, because that idea of um, my identity, my, uh, you know, who I am, myself, is, is found fully and completely um, and the body and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and that means that every element of who I am now is claimed by him. You know, we went to Covenant College, we've said many times, uh, our dear alma mater. Um, and the, the, the motto of our college was, uh, in all things, Christ preeminent. Um, you know, and uh, I think it's, I, I think it's Kuiper 
someone's going to correct me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's Kuiper. Um, says, uh, you know, there is not one square inch of creation in which God does not, or which Christ does not point and declare mine. Um, you know, there's not, there's no space uh, in creation where where Christ does not have that authority and that ownership. Um, uh, and I think Kierkegaard puts this really well um, yeah, on page 146 of The Sickness Unto Death, which if you haven't read it, it's a very tough read, but I recommend it. Um, I should get around to it. Yeah, it's 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 well worth it. Also, highly recommend uh, Christianity and Liberalism uh, addresses many of the same issues. It's only 160 pages, very readable. Nice uh, little weekend read. Yes, it's very good. Um, anyway, uh, Kierkegaard says this: a self directly before Christ is a self intensified through the stupendous concession God made, intensified by the stupendous ascent. That, uh, sorry, by the stupendous accent that falls on this self, because also for its sake, God let himself be born, became man, suffered, and died. As it was stated above, the more conception of God, the more self. So here it is. The more conception of Christ, the more self. Qualitatively, a self is what it has as its standard of measurement. That Christ is the standard is the expression attested by God of what stupendous reality a self has. For only in Christ is it true that God is man's goal and standard, or standard and goal. But the more self, the more intense the sin. So, in other words, in coming to a recognition of who Christ is, we recognize who we are. Uh, most fully by recognizing that we are not Christ. Uh, by, by seeing that Christ is the perfect uh, the the strange uh two persons uh two natures in one person um the the union of both god and man uh neither mixed uh nor mingled uh but separate and perfect um in one person by understanding who christ is we see we see who we are not but also in seeing who christ is we recognize that we have the salvation that we require to come before a holy god and so in Christ, we see this thing that we cannot be, this thing that we can never attain, um, this person uh, in, in uh, God-made flesh. But, uh, but the strangeness of it is that that God-made flesh came to die so that we might live. Um, and only in understanding who Christ is and understanding who God is uh, do we understand who we are. Um, we might say that any good anthropology begins with good theology. Right. Absolutely. And it helps guide us towards what, towards the goal of what we can become. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't know, I, I, I'd be interested in hearing, you know, the major takeaways that you had from this, this week's challenge. Um, and I hope we haven't put too many listeners to sleep. Sorry, let me rephrase that. I hope I haven't put too many listeners to sleep with my <laughs> Danish existential philosophers. Um, and I thank everybody who has stuck with us this far in the episode. Um, uh, but I think this is really important because the, the spiritual elements of this life are what make things like a good beer and a good cigar um, and a good poem and a good movie and a good you know, piece of music, um, they awaken something in our spirituality, right? They, they, um, they pull something out of us. 
um, that is more than mere physicalness. And in one sense, you can only truly enjoy those things when you are living before the face of God, right? If yes. you if you are not living in that way, it's it's so fleeting. It is vanity of vanities to enjoy those things because in no way can you look at that as having any impact on yourself other than negative. Yes. So it, that leads to a very sharp divide between the Christian and the non-Christian in the sense that the non-Christian who, even though they might be eating the most healthy foods on the planet, they might have cut out all the unhealthy things in their life, they could be living a quote-unquote perfectly healthy life. And yet, and yet they would still be only getting negatives from that in, in the spiritual sense because they're doing it for their own self for a self that does not exist. They're doing it, as you put it, uh, from Kierkegaard, in despair. Right. Rather than as a Christian, I can do all of that, and it's I'm doing it to the glory of God. I'm, I'm growing my body to the glory of God. Yeah. It, Machen uh, has – the, the whole of the book of his Christianity and liberalism is, is super helpful, um, but he said something in the introduction that I wanted to read on the podcast because I think – it really gets to, in some ways, it gets to the heart of what you know. You and I are interested in in pursuing Christian masculinity, um, or, or at least I, I, I'll propose that that's what uh, I'll propose that it's the case. You can argue with me whether or not it's it's actually true. Well, let's uh, hear it. But he says uh, he's talking about he's been talking about how uh, the modern world has been reaching all of these scientific achievements, and we've improved. Uh, our our reality th- so much through the through the power of science and through the pot- uh, power of rationality. So he says the modern world represents, in some respects, an enormous improvement over the world in which our ancestors lived, but in other respects, it exhibits a lamentable decline. The improvement appears in the physical conditions of life, but in the spiritual realm, there is a corresponding loss. The loss is clearest, perhaps, in the realm of art. I think this is a great, this next line is really, really great quote. Despite the mighty revolution, which has been produced in the external conditions of life, no great poet is now living to celebrate the change. Humanity has suddenly become dumb. Gone too are the great painters and the great musicians and the great sculptors. The art that still subsists is largely imitative and where it is not imitative, it is usually bizarre. Even the appreciation of the glories of the past is gradually being lost under the influence of a utilitarian education that concerns itself only with the production of physical well-being. This unprecedented decline in literature and art is only one manifestation of a more far-reaching phenomenon. It is only one instance of that narrowing of the range of personality which has been going on in the modern world. This is also one last really good quote. The whole development of modern society has tended mightily toward the limitation of the realm of freedom for the individual man. And so the two, just the two really great points here uh, that I'll bring out is he's saying, because, you know, we've made such advances in, in technology, right? This is in 1923, he's writing this book, you know, it's a hundred years ago. Um, and he's saying, we've, we've come up with so many great things, you know, the telegraph and, you know, telephone and, and all these great things. Um, but we've lost the idea of the soul. We've lost the idea of the spiritual. Um, and there are no poets left who will bring that out for us, right? We don't have Shakespeare anymore. Um, we don't have um, Homer anymore to tell us what it is to be human, 
um, we have scientists now who tell us that it's, um, you know, a, a person with this many limbs um, and this kind of heart. And um, who's a cancer on the planet and needs to go. Right. And, and that's what it is to be a human. Um, and no one to tell us what it is to be alive. Uh, no one to tell us the, the stories of Beowulf and the Aeneid. Um, and no one to, to illuminate our hearts like Dostoevsky um, or, or any of these people like that. Um, and it's such a great point, I think. And then, you know, this, this line that he has, the whole development of modern society has tended mightily toward the limitation of the realm of freedom for the individual man. And, and Machen was a, was a libertarian. You can do with that what you will. Uh, but I think he's making a great point that our, our modern society has said, well, we can define scientifically what, what the perfect man, the perfect woman is, right? The perfect thing, really. Um, and if we can aim all of our efforts at getting everybody to be like that, then we'll achieve happiness, we'll achieve perfection, right? So how do we get man uh, to be one perfect amorphous thing? Um, mm -hmm. And the easiest way to do that is to, is to shave off all the parts of us that make us individuals, uh, is to, to comb away all those parts of us um, that make other people uncomfortable. Um, and what Machen's arguing for and what Kierkegaard is arguing for is, is that that element, I think, of Truth being, sub, uh, truth being subjectivity, which is to say that um, the way that you experience God um, is different than the way that I experience God. And yet they have to be from the objective sense of truth and that we are both aiming towards the same thing. Right. And we're both pulling from the same document, right? We're both right. interpreting scripture, which is the ultimate revelation of God. You have to be so careful. I think, I think a good way to frame it might be the argument that Paul makes you know, uh, some of us are an ear, some of us are a spleen, some of us are a foot, right. right? And yet we all are part of the body. And if you couch the the argument of truth is subjectivity in that, I think that makes, at least from my background, that makes a lot more sense to me in, in the sense that um, I can accept, you know, you, you're you much more literary than I am. Right. You know, I, I know how to code better than you do. We both have different tasks and roles in this life. And yet, we are both aiming to do those things to the glory of God and aiming to be more and more like Christ each day in those tasks, right? Christ was a carpenter. That doesn't mean I should go be a carpenter. Yeah, exactly right. And and you are a man and I am a man and presumably most of the listeners of the show are men, right? But one of the things that I think we've been really clear in what we're saying is don't be like us. You know, you know don't be right. us. We're not trying to make copies of JJ and Banjo. Which would be a terrible idea. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. a good. lot of things would not get done in this society. Yeah, it would be have un, unclean rooms, that's for sure. Anyway, um, but we well, maybe the copies of you. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but what we do want to say is that there is objective truth. Go live it. You know, go go take hold of it. Make it. You know, we talk about making the faith your own, right? We want we want um, our children to to take ownership of their faith. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean that they have all of the right answers because we don't have all of the right answers. Right. Machen um, makes the point that um, faith, the Christian faith is an indicative, not an imperative. Right. It's a statement of belief. It's a statement of truth, not not a, a, a command. Right. Um, our the Christian faith is founded upon the belief that Christ uh, lived and uh, you know, as the as the as the person, the second person of the Trinity lived, 
uh, died and was resurrected for our salvation, um, for the reconciliation of a chosen people with a holy God. That's that's the faith. Not um, you need to go to church on Sunday um, and you need to read your Bible uh, three times a day and you need to say this many Hail Marys or or uh, have your Westminster Catechism down pat. Um, and I think that's got to be at the heart of everything that you know, you and I do, JJ, as as people who are interested in becoming godly Christian men, we have to push for what do we believe, not what are we doing. What do we believe? Because um, that's at the heart. That belief should turn into doing, though. That's very evident. James makes that incredibly clear. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's you know, how do you know a tree but by its fruit, right? Exactly. Um, and so, absolutely, if I believe that I have been saved by God, that shouldn't be a source of of pride. It should be a source of humility. Um, I, uh, our, um, our pastor today at, um, at my church gave a great sermon on, um, on where we're saved to serve. Um, our salvation isn't for our self-glorification, um, but we are saved to be like Christ who came not to, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, and yet we can only make sense of who that savior is by understanding what we believe about that savior, right? Um, in order to know that our savior came to serve and not to be served, we have to recognize that he's a supernatural being uh, who came, uh, who lived a human life, who died a human death, uh, who was resurrected um, and who is coming back for us uh, and who is returning um, in glorious form. And we have to believe those things in order for the rest of our life to have meaning, to make sense. And from that belief, we must act, right? We cannot be indecisive in that way. I think that's a good segue into our next challenge. All right, as a reminder, challenges last for 10 days. That's Monday through Friday for two weeks. Uh, They are simple daily tasks to grow us as men. This one will require a little bit more time. Um, the challenge is uh, journal for 20 minutes at the end of each day. Let me clarify what that journaling looks like. It's not just arbitrary journaling. Here's what I did today. This is journaling with a purpose, journaling with a direction. And I'll put some, uh, I'm sure Banjo, you've heard some great podcasts and have some re- read some great things on journaling. Uh, I've got some things to share as well in the Discord. Uh, so we can throw those out this week. Uh, but the idea is this journaling for 20 minutes is um, to reflect, plan, and grow, or and, and goal set, essentially. Um, both to kind of give your life some immediate purpose, but also to help you see the long-term purpose and your long-term goals. So essentially, as you're journaling, ask yourself questions. Literally, physically write, uh, what did you do well today? And then answer that question. Then, what did you do poorly today? What did What did you not do well today? Answer that question. Ask, what did you learn today? And how can you improve today? Or the next day, I guess is is actually. How can you improve in the next day? Um, Reflect on any long-term goals you have, how you're working towards those things. Um, And and then, yeah, throw in any other questions. I like to reflect on what might be a good story from the day. You know, something like that. What might be uh, something interesting I noticed today. Little things like that. Kind of... uh, capture the day and and what happened and how it affected you and your goals and your purpose and reflect on how you can do better the next day. So for example, um, one thing uh, 
I've noticed, I've done this a couple times now, kind of in preparation for this. And uh, I journal, what what did I not do well one day was, I, I was not the, um, I did not respond well to my son when he interrupted me at work. Well, how can I do better with that? How can I be a better father? How can I respond better to my son? How can I be more intentional about spending time with him rather than simply sitting on the couch and going, oh yeah, Roland, that's cool. Um, and so the next day it meant, okay, I'm going to take more intentional time to play with him, be around him so that I know when I'm at work, well, I've given much of my time to you, my son. Now I need to give this time here and I'm, I can respond better in that because I've, I've, I started my day with um, a, a good time of bonding with him, right? Uh, so that's just an example. You know, not everyone listening to this as a father it might be an example in your work or in your day to day life or something with your health that you want to work on, whatever it is. Uh, figure out something you did not do well. Uh, figure out something you did well. So, so I like to look back and go, wow, I did accomplish these tasks that I set out to accomplish. Um, how can I improve in these things? How can I improve in the things I did not do well? Little things I learned or picked up, um, you know, maybe just some tidbit from the day. Anyway, all of that to kind of couch it. And I say 20 minutes. Uh, that's that's a number I keep hearing from several different podcasts I've listened to and a couple different articles. Just you got to really dwell in it. So I set a timer and I sit there with my journal open and I, I'm writing and thinking for 20 minutes straight. Um, and the reason to do it at the end of the day is that you are that alongside scripture, in my opinion. Um, but if you're doing those things at the end of the day, then you're going to bed thinking about it. And so you wake up thinking about it. Um, so you're immediately going, okay, here's here's how I can do better today. What do you think of that, Banjo? Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I journaling uh, journaling daily uh, was something that I did when I was very little, and something that I stopped doing. And um, I, th- I think I've always wanted to go back and do it uh, more consistently. So I'm excited for this one. I think just a good reminder on on these kinds of challenges um, is you know um, how to say this: uh, perfection is not possible. Um, Absolutely not. <laughs> and and it's not the goal. Um, and I think the more that we are grounded in Scripture and grounded in our Savior um, in Christ, the more that we get to know that um, and the more that we get to make sense of our day-to-day life. Um, so I just encourage folks as they're doing their journaling this week, um, yeah, just like kind of like JJ said, really be grounded in that, um, in the Scriptures and in, in knowing um, knowing the reality of, of, uh, who we are saved by and what we are saved to, um, you know, just so that this, uh, I think these exercises sometimes, um, I've experienced this myself with sometimes these, uh, exercises that can be meant for real nourishment can really turn into exercises of despair where it's, oh, I'm, I'm right. not who I want to be and I'm not who I think I should be. And, uh, yeah, you're, uh, I'm, I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who I should be. Um, and that's what the gospel is for. Um, and that's who, who uh, you know, I, I like to, like to Christ, Christ came to save failures. He didn't come to save successes. Yes. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, as much as we need to hold tightly to James, uh, that, uh, faith without works is dead. Uh, we also need to, to hold, uh, just as much to, uh, our, our justification is, uh, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Right. And journaling is not something that's anywhere uh, dictated to do in scripture that I can think of at all. Um, it's more this is a way to ex- take that, whatever that goal is, 
kind of in, couch it in scripture, work towards it. And this is a way to kind of put it into action, right? It's a way to write it down, get it on paper so you can act on it, right? It's kind of a, it's a, it's a helpful bridge in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's a great way to it, move. I mean, it's a good direction thing as well. Cause I've been told you should journal. I'm like, I don't know how to, you know? So when I heard this, I was like, oh, this makes sense. It gives me a direction and you can make it fun. So I, I like to journal one little thing, a quirky thing that happened to my day kind of set the day apart. And that adds a journaling aspect to it in the sense of here's what happened, but it's like one sentence, you know, just kind of logging that. But yeah. And it's a great way to move from the possible to the actual, right? Oh, there's so many things you could do in a day, but exactly. I think journaling is a great way to move into, all right, this is what I want to do tomorrow. This is going to, this is going to be my active goal for tomorrow. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Very good. This has been the Forging Honor Podcast. Music and production is by Elliot George. For more information about what we do or to learn how to get involved, visit our website at forginghonor.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to like, subscribe, and give us a rating to bring others into the Forging Honor journey. On our website, you'll find information on how to do the challenges alongside us, as well as links to the many resources we mentioned in the show. And we do make a small amount from any purchases you make through our website link, so thank you in advance. Thanks for taking time with us today. We hope you'll take up the work alongside us and join us in the task of forging honor. We'll see you next time. Thank you.